0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Wild Womb Podcast. This episode is going to be a little bit different than normal. I'm not interviewing anybody. I'm just going to be talking. Um, So in the past six or seven months, I've been doing an herbal apprenticeship at Flower Power in the East Village in Manhattan. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on this podcast, but it's been a pretty huge thing in my life lately. Um, I suppose one of the many reasons why This has kind of slowed down. I've been so busy and really trying to put taking care of myself first and part of that has been trying to work less or at least spread my energy a little bit better Um, but also to just really focus on learning some things so that I have more to share with people and I've learned so much working there. Um, I've always had an herbalism practice myself and done a lot of self-study, but it's been really cool to be in the shop and engaging with all sorts of different people and different people's issues, and then also the other herbalists that work there who've all had different experiences and training. It's been super amazing, and it's also given me the chance to get way more into reproductive health and herbs that are going to support you know, the whole spectrum of fertility for women, people with internal organs, Um, and I got to start teaching classes. So a couple months ago, I had my first one, and it was just really about general reproductive health and herbs that you can use to support your reproductive health. Um, That class felt really lovely. Um, I felt like I was repeating information that people already knew, but I think that's not really the case. Um, But it was also just such a lovely time to sit with a few other women who really care about getting to know their bodies and want the space to talk about things. One of the things I've really realized working there is that so many people are unfamiliar with their bodies and that we're only really given the opportunity to look for issues and to start questioning what's going on when there is an issue and when we have things like fibroids or our periods missing or people are trying to get pregnant I've had miscarriages and things like that and we're not really given the information to start ourselves off with a really strong base and so that's what I want to be doing here um, moving forward I'll be teaching more classes there um, I was part of a Skillshare workshop that was an all-day long event um, put on by this lovely woman named Kristen who teaches yin yoga, um, she gathered all these practitioners who work in reproductive health, um, in all sorts of levels to bring information to be more accessible about women's health, um, benefiting breast cancer, and it was really amazing, and I kicked off that day teaching female anatomy, Um, And then coming up on February 25th at 8 p.m. at Flower Power in the East Village, I'll be teaching another class, and that's DIY Gynecology and Body Literacy. So that's kind of what I wanted to do with this episode. It's something I've been meaning to do for a long time. Um, It's really great to be able to have classes that people can come to, but I really fully understand that it's not that accessible to a lot of people as somebody who has a hard time getting out of their routine sometimes or getting to classes and events that might be really beneficial it's hard to add another thing to your day so I think it's it's great to be able to just pop on your headphones and listen to some information certainly one of my favorite pastimes so hopefully this is helpful to you People. Um, I think one thing I just wanted to attach to it, I guess, is over the summer I also did the Fifth Vital Sign Facilitator workshop called Conversations in Community. I believe it was episode 10 of this podcast that um, Kelsey and Emily came on from the Fifth Vital Sign, but they put together this workshop that was several months long where we met regularly virtually with people all over the country who had varying levels of working in this field or just interests and in wanting to have a better ability to talk about reproductive health and social justice and it was such a great thorough deep dive into this information um yeah one of the things that I, I find so funny that they've both said and I think we even talked about it on the episode is that one women are meeting their cervixes in labor for the first time for the most part and that also um, asking questions about your body and, and getting to know our bodies at this point in time we you know when we're adults is like knowing somebody or having met somebody several times and not catching their name quite right but it being too far gone to really ask again and you just kind of have to be like oh you and you know pretend you know and fill in the blanks and I feel like that's that's kind of how reproductive health is for a lot of us um it's interesting to to hear how many misconceptions there are about the menstrual cycle and when you can and can't get pregnant and I really wish that fertility awareness was taught to us right away in addition to offering information about hormonal birth control and barrier methods and everything I I just wish that we had all of the information straight up and that it wasn't something we had to seek out a few decades into our lives but I digress. Um, I want to start this episode and this conversation off with a bit of a breathing exercise. Um, It's really hard to understand what's going on in your body and to address some of the changes that need to happen if we're so disconnected from ourselves. Um, That's easy for me to say, much harder for me to do. I'm, to be quite honest, terribly disconnected from my body, and that's interesting as being the person I am and doing the work I do but I find it really hard to to live inside of my body it's hard to be a person carrying around a container that you don't really like that much a lot of the time and there's so many reasons for that and I'll save that conversation for another episode but I find it really hard to understand my needs and meet my needs and and carry around this human house um So I'm really trying to make the steps to to pay attention to what's going on and even if that's just sitting, taking pause, and paying attention to where my muscles are tight, where I'm holding tension. So I want to start this off with us all collectively. Sit if you're sitting, if you're walking, just notice that your feet are on the ground, that you're actually in a body that's here in the world, that you're connected to the earth, that you're connected to your body, and breathe into it. So if we, I don't know if this is cheesy, it feels cheesy, but it's something I want to do in my classes, and I guess this is good practice to do in a podcast, but take a breath in, and breathe out. I really needed that. It's been a long day. Um, I think there's a lot of other things we can do to get more in our bodies and pay attention. Um, Fluttering your lips. I tell that to women who are trying to not push when they're in labor. Um, But it's also, the jaw is really connected to the hips. We hold a ton of tension in our hips. That's where we hold trauma We also hold that in our jaw, we hold our stress. If we release our jaw, it'll help release our hips. It can be a little bit looser, a little bit more fluid, which I personally would really like to be. I like to also put a hand on my stomach and on the other one on my chest and breathe into that. easy to forget how much you're holding in in more ways than one I suppose it's really easy to keep being at war with our bodies Um, I think that we all deserve better and I think we should try to, to not be, to actively fight against being at war with ourselves it's it's important to sit in the discomfort and just sit in our bodies and and know how to understand what's happening um so yeah hopefully you feel like you're here and and you're ready and we'll dive in (music) So before I dive right into this episode, this very important episode, I just want to say um, I really wanted to try to be as inclusive as possible. Um, what I'm talking about here is information for people with internal organs Um I'm trying to do my best to use inclusive language. If you feel like I failed on any level, please let me know. I'm really open to criticism. I want this to be as accessible, as inclusive as possible. So definitely very, very open to feedback. Um, And now to dive in. I wish I had a visual component to this, um, because anatomy is, is easier to understand if you're looking at it. But bear with me. Also, I apologize for uh, my cat screaming in the background. You'll probably hear that at some point. (laughs) Her name's Sycamore, in case nobody knows. I'm not sure I've properly introduced her on this podcast. Anyway, so I just want to get back to where we did a little bit of an embodiment exercise. Um, Just to, we talked a little bit in between, so good to take a breath and and get back into it. So wherever you are, just pay attention to what your feet are touching. Feel your feet on the ground, and just breathe into your body. Take a few deep breaths. Breathe in, and out. I hold a ton of tension in my shoulders and neck, and I hardly realize it until I take those deep breaths. So that was pretty luxurious feeling. Anyway, getting into it. So we'll start um, with the anatomy. Um, the uterus is this big, important organ that holds the cervix, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes, all of those things. Um, the uterus is incredible. The cervix is kind of at the bottom. It's like the the opening of the uterus, if that makes sense. Um, and this is all internal. All of those parts are the internal parts. Um, the vagina is something that often I feel people refer to as something that kind of encompasses all of the reproductive organs I guess but really the vagina is is just a kind of passageway between the outside of the body and the uterus and cervix it's a canal um it is an organ it's a muscle but it's it's not the whole external part it's really just the internal part it's a birth canal it's where menstrual blood comes out of it is opening um the vulva is what you see on the outside um so that co- That includes the the labia, the clitoris, um, and like the urethra and all those parts that you can see on the outside, kind of the urethra. It's more, the vulva is more external even, Um, but that's the part that you can touch externally and the part that you would insert things into, that's the vagina. So just a distinction that I think is important rather than using the vagina as the word that covers all of it. Um, So just to be clear the vagina is the tube between the vulva and the cervix Um, The vulva contains all of the fun external parts. So this is what you see with the naked eye I'd recommend using a mirror um, and looking at it. Get to know what your normal is. It's really important when you're trying to detect health things to understand what normal and abnormal is for you. It's, it's different for everybody, and every vulva looks different. Every vagina is different. Every vulva is different. Um, there's a lot of shame around what your reproductive parts look like, um, I think mostly just because we're not exposed to many different types. If anything, people are seeing a pretty standardized view in porn. But um, things look really different. Some are, some people have large clitorises, pink vulvas, brown vulvas. All sorts of things are varying, and uh, I think it's it's really important to look at what you've got and understand and maybe you've never seen anyone else's um so you might not know that what you've got is totally normal just understand what your normal is so that when you do have variation you can address it um yeah so the vagina is the birth canal it's the exit path like i said for menstruation blood and is used for insertion so penis fingers menstrual tools sex toys contraceptions etc the walls of the vagina change all the time in response to age cycle and arousal during arousal the uterus and the cervix move higher in the pelvis causing the vagina to widen and expand The vagina also makes and releases its own fluids in response to what is going on. So uh, we'll get into it, but not only does your cervix create fluid, but the vagina does as well. She's a pretty cool lady. Um, So the cervix is the lowest part of the uterus. It connects the vagina to the uterine cavity. From the vagina, the cervix looks like a smooth, fleshy donut and resembles puckered lips. The cervix keeps bacteria and viruses out of the uterus and opens and closes to let sperm in and menstrual blood out. The cervix is also involved in sexual response. It is located at the top of the vagina or the lowest part of the uterus. Understanding the position, texture, and fluids of the cervix is crucial in understanding your fertility. Getting to know your cervix can play an integral role in getting to know your body on a much deeper level. So co-founders of The Fifth Vital Sign, Kelsey Knight and Emily Varnum, who were on this podcast, I believe episode 10, um, but something they've said that I, I always really find resonates with me um, is that women often meet their cervix for the first time in labor, and I think it's so, so true and really important to get to know your cervix much sooner. Um, So the cervix moves and changes shape throughout the menstrual cycle. This happens in response to the hormonal fluctuations that facilitate the ovulatory process. The cervical fluid also changes and is an important marker of fertility. Before and after the fertile window, the cervix is low and can be felt in the vagina. The texture is firm at this point, and the opening will be closed, so it's not really an opening, at least at that point. It is, but it's closed. Um, During the fertile window around ovulation, the cervix is soft, kind of like an earlobe, and positioned higher in the abdomen. At this point, the cervix is slightly open to facilitate getting sperm into the uterus. So you might not be able to really reach it at this point with your finger. Sometimes people have a harder time doing so at this point. Um, The cervix does not usually get the love and attention it deserves. It holds a fetus throughout pregnancy and then can open 10 centimeters in order to get that baby out, which is pretty crazy. Um, Stimulation of the cervix can lead to a much more intense orgasm than clitoral stimulation alone, which is important to note. Um, It sends you important information about your body and health. So now go wash your hands so you can meet her properly. And please do wash your hands. It's a place you don't really want to get crazy germs in. So keep clean. Also, while we're on that topic, if you use sex toys, make sure you wash those too. Just in case nobody's ever told you, you should. Um, Okay, so this is... Where we talk about how to find and feel your cervix, um, it can be pretty. I think it's it's pretty easy if you know what you're looking for. Um, but we're not always encouraged to touch our bodies, and in case you need permission, here it is: you really are allowed to touch your body. You're allowed to explore your own body. You're allowed to put your fingers inside yourself and feel what's going on without shame, and it's totally fine. In fact, I encourage it. I think we need to meet our bodies, get comfortable with them, get really familiar with what's going on. Go for it. You don't need anybody to tell you that you can. Um, But also, on the flip side, if you're uncomfortable with it, I totally understand there's a lot of reasons that We might be uncomfortable with touching our bodies, and maybe it's something you work up to. Maybe, for now, you just sit and put your hand on your vulva, and you breathe into it. This is something that some other people who work in reproductive health that I really admire talk about doing. um, Emily Saldea and Kimberly Johnson, both respectively running podcasts. um, The Free Birth Society podcast and Magamama, shout out! Um, <laughs> but they're really intelligent women, and um, they often talk about just breathing into your hand on your vulva and how powerful that is. So if that's all you can do today, that's fine. That's amazing. Mm, go for it. But if you feel more adventurous, um, if you've been curious and you haven't done this, but even if you have, please do it. Please check your cervix regularly. Look inside your vagina you don't need me to tell you twice. Um, So like I said, wash your hands, start there. A good time to try is when your cervix is likely low and easier to reach, so this would be before or after menstruation. Um, It's easiest to take a seat on the toilet or squat or do your favorite variation of a standing lunge. Feeling relaxed is helpful, so as I've said, we hold tons of tension in our body, a common place for women to hold tension and I'm sure all people but I think especially women is in this region of like reproduction so in your hips and in your pelvic floor I think there's a lot of tension held there Um, so trying to release that is going to help this process quite a lot and just help your life overall Um, it's a good idea to use some lube or coconut oil if you'd like and then with your palm facing up towards your body Guide your longest finger carefully into your vagina. Notice what's going on in there. Are you relaxed or tense? Can you feel your muscles? Um, What does your vagina feel like? Are you dry or moist? Keep a mental note of your observations whenever you go in there. Um, This is going to be a part of tracking your fertility, but just generally pay attention to what's going on. Every time you do this, make a note of it so that you can see when and where things change, then you'll really start to be able to identify patterns in your cycle. Um, So when you're in there, feel for a round raised circle with a dimple in the middle, so it'll feel kind of like the tip of your nose, and while the vagina will feel more like the inside of your cheek. So that harder part is your cervix. Notice if it points more towards your belly or your back. That just tells you the positioning of it can be useful information. And uh, cervical, the cervix produces cervical fluid, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, so this is all part of the discharge. The quality and quantity changes throughout your cycle in response to hormonal fluctuations of estrogen and progesterone. Um, so there's kind of like four classifications of cervical fluid depending on where you are in your cycle. When you're the least fertile, It's pretty dry. You won't really see much or feel much at all. Um, When you're a little bit more fertile, it's going to be thick, creamy, tacky, kind of like school glue, like drier Elmer's glue. Um, When you're even more fertile, closer to ovulation time, um, it's going to be a lot more watery and clear and wet. When you're the most fertile, so when you 100% can get pregnant, and you're ovulating, it's going to be more clear, egg white like, really gooey. This aids in sperm travel. Um, so a good way to tell if you're at this stage is if you put your pointer finger on the finger that you caught the fluid on and try to stretch them apart. And if you can, that uh, really indicates that you're at that stage, that egg white, gooey, stretchy cervical fluid, fertile, fertile, fertile Use protection if you're not trying to have babies. And if you are, have all the sex that you can unprotected and free and hopefully you get pregnant. Um, So the best ways to check your cervical fluid are wiping after you use the bathroom and paying attention to it. Did wiping feel dry or did it slide easily? Look at the toilet paper. You'll see fluid if it's present. Also look at your underwear if you wear it. Check the fluid when you're checking your cervix. Touch the fluid with your fingers. Feel the consistencies. It's slippery, dry, tacky, gooey. It's also a good idea to smell it. Um, Yeast infections and bacterial vaginitis are really common. Um, Changes in smell can indicate changes in pH and possible infections and things like that. So it's a good idea to understand what your normal smell is. I don't know if that feels weird to people, but it shouldn't. Uh, your, your vagina and everything has a smell so know what it is it's not weird um, and make note of what you find daily this is gonna really help you understand where you are in your cycle so that you can track your fertility and understand your health a lot better it's so now getting into the menstrual cycle um, the menstrual cycle is broken into two phases A lot of information is based off of a 28-day cycle, which I suppose is ideal, but is not the normal for everybody, so I'm not going to talk about specific days exactly, because this really just depends on on you and and what your normal is. Remember that for everything, we all have our own baseline, it's okay. you'll know if something's wrong with your menstrual cycle. If you're having really crazy long cycles, or if it's really irregular, that's something to look into. But being plus or minus a few days off 28 is not a big deal. So to start, um, day one would be the start of the cycle, which is a new cycle when you're menstruating. That's the beginning of the follicular phase. Um, So that goes through when menstruation ends. And then it moves it's the first half of the cycle so at the very end of the follicular stage you have a fertile wave that's when you can get pregnant and it ends or culminates in ovulation which then moves us into the luteal phase um right after ovulation you'll be pretty dry and then you start getting some fertile fertile windows throughout that sort of um and then you go back to menstruation again. So, sorry, that was a little confusing. (laughs) Two phases of the menstruation cycle, the follicular phase and the luteal phase. The cycle starts, or we indicate it by when menstruation starts, which is the beginning of the follicular phase. The follicular phase ends with ovulation, so around that time is when you're most fertile. And then we move into the luteal phase, which is when we're trying to uh, basically fertilize an egg that was implanted. And then if it isn't, you shed the lining and that's when you menstruate and the cycle begins again. I think that was a little bit, little bit better of an explanation, but let me get into it a little bit more. Um, the menstrual cycle begins with the first day of bleeding and ends just before the next menstrual period. The menstrual cycle is regulated by hormones. There's a luteinizing hormone and follicle-stimulating hormone that are produced by the pituitary gland and stimulate the ovaries to produce estrogen and progesterone. So in the follicular phase, um, estrogen and progesterone are low in the beginning, causing the endometrium to break down and shed, and menstrual bleeding occurs. The follicle-stimulating hormone increases, stimulating follicle development in the ovaries each follicle contains an egg. Later in this phase, follicle-stimulating hormone decreases and only one follicle develops and produces estrogen. So that moves us into the ovulatory phase. This is when you're the most fertile, again, so use protection if you're not trying to get pregnant, and if you are, have a lot of sex. This is the surge in luteinizing hormone, which stimulates ovulation. Estrogen levels peak during the surge and progesterone levels start to increase. That moves us into the luteal phase. Um, so this is when luteinizing and follicle-stimulating hormone levels decrease. Ruptured follicles closes after releasing the egg and forms the corpus luteum, producing progesterone. In most of this phase, estrogen is high. Progesterone and estrogen thicken uterine lining to prepare for fertilization. If the egg is not fertilized, the corpus luteum degenerates and no longer produces progesterone. Estrogen decreases and the lining breaks down and sheds, and a new menstrual cycle begins. So this is what's going on in our bodies all of the time, um, over and over throughout life, which is pretty wild. It's just like breathing. It's just this instant body process, and I think that is so cool. Um, So now that we've kind of gotten through more basics of... The actual body systems, we'll talk about ways that you can manage it and and improve on what's going on. Um, I've talked about before, I believe in other episodes, um, about some of these methods. I just want to get into it a little bit deeper. So one of the really great things I think that you can do that's really easy to help balance your hormones and regulate your menstrual cycle is seed cycling um I think there's a lot of like wellness bloggers and Instagram influencers that are talking about these lately and it seems like it's kind of a pop health thing but it's actually a really old method that people have been using for a really long time to help have better periods and better reproductive health processes so um this is seed cycling. It's a method of using various seeds to support different phases of our monthly cycles, to balance hormone levels, relieve PMS and perimenopause symptoms, to stimulate menstruation, increase fertility, and support the body in healing more serious conditions like ovarian cysts, PCOS, and endometriosis. So this is a helpful thing that you can do throughout your whole fertile life. Um, so in the first half of your menstrual and follicular phase um so the first half of the menstrual cycle during the follicular phase what you'll do is use flax seeds and pumpkin seeds you do one tablespoon of each daily and you want them freshly ground um you can be totally creative with how you take them but yeah i think you know make sure that they're organic and freshly ground sprinkle them on oatmeal and roasted vegetables you can make fat balls um i i'll tell you a recipe after i explain this but it's really easy to incorporate in your life and has a huge benefit for your reproductive health and um, so again follicular phase you'll be using flax seeds and pumpkin seeds one tablespoon of each daily freshly ground Flax seeds contain linions, um, which help to bind excess estrogen so that it can be eliminated from the body. It can also help pre- protect against hormone-related cancers. And then the pumpkin seeds are really high in zinc, which prepares the body for progesterone secretion in the next phase. They're high in omega-3s. So if we're going off a 28-day cycle, you'll be doing this for 14 days. And then in the luteal phase, in the ovulation phase, trying to get a progesterone boost, um, you'll be using sunflower seeds and sesame seeds. Again, one tablespoon each daily, freshly ground. And the reason we grind them is because this is how your body's gonna actually absorb the nutrients when they're whole, they kind of pass through and you're not gonna get as many benefits as you would if you grind them. Um, So for sunflower seeds, again, one tablespoon daily. These are high in selenium, which supports liver function. To prevent clogging from excess hormones resulting in proper hormone excretion and this is high in omega-6 and then the sesame seeds again one tablespoon daily high in linens um, modulates estrogen and progesterone levels and it's also high in omega-6 so for my seed cycle balls the so fat balls this is a really easy way to do it you can just make a big batch for the 14-ish days of your cycle that you're using, too, and then make another batch for the second phase. Um, you can keep them in the freezer, in the fridge, and just eat a ball a day. They're delicious, and it's convenient. There's also this company, if you feel like a lot of convenience and you don't mind spending money, but they're based in New York. They're called Food Period, and, and they make like seed cycling balls as well, which is pretty great. Um, but anyway, If you want to write this down, grab a pencil. It's half a cup of nut butter of your choice, two tablespoons of chia seeds, two tablespoons of honey or maple syrup if you're vegan, um, and a quarter cup of non-dairy milk. You want to add the freshly ground seeds per cycle phase. So let's say we're in the follicular phase, you'll use flax seeds and pumpkin seeds. So one tablespoon of each times the amount of days that you're doing this, Um, so Let's say you can even it out to a cup of each. So during the follicular phase, you'll use one cup of raw flax seeds ground fresh, and one cup of raw pumpkin seeds ground fresh. And if you're in your luteal phase, you'll do one cup of raw sunflower seeds ground fresh and one cup of sesame seeds ground fresh. You can put this in a blender, food processor, get it into a paste, roll them into balls, and store them. That's all you have to do. Super easy. Um, one of the really big and important things I want to talk about is self-care. Um, when I'm talking about self-care, I don't mean that you need to go get a manicure and pedicure and massage and spend a lot of money. Self-care should not be something that you have to spend money on. Um, what I'm talking here is like grandma principles, making sure you're sleeping, drinking water, eating enough, um, and eating consistently, getting hugs and love and, friendship and social interaction those are all really important for self-care um I think today we are really overworked generally in in whatever the way that can kind of be um mind body and spirit are just kind of tapped out and it's no wonder hormones pushed into slowing down and um they're just kind of all over the place uh for a lot of people and and I think a lot of that comes from stress and not being able to take care of ourselves and maybe not being able to meet our basic needs and and so when I'm talking self-care it's about meeting our basic needs and making sure that you're taken care of in the ways that you need to be so that's nourishing your body don't push yourself beyond what is reasonable for you um make sure you're breathing make sure you're sleeping enough Ask yourself regularly what you need and try to actually respond to it. Hug somebody who wants to hug you back. Go outside, take a walk if you are able to walk. Um, Move your body if, if moving your body feels good and is accessible to you. And make and drink herbal infusions. This is kind of an extra thing, but we're talking about herbs in this episode and it's a big part of my life and I think it can be a really good way to get in touch with your health um, visit your local herbalists or your herbal shop if you have one and if not just go outside and go for an herbal walk and see see what's growing notice it and read about things and see what you can do within your means um, making an herbal infusion is a really good way to get your herbs in but there's other ways as well you can do tinctures um, solves all that sort of thing but I, I think infusions are a really accessible and easy way to do it for roots um, just things to know when you're doing this uh, you for roots you'd want to use one ounce of dried root in a pint jar fill the jar to the top with boiling water put the lid on the jar and then let it sit at room temperature for eight hours for barks you would prepare it the same way with leaves use one ounce of dried leaves in a quart jar fill the jar to the top with boiling water put the lid on it and let it steep for four hours Um, for flowers again one ounce of dried flowers in a quart jar you can fill the jar to the top with boiling water put the lid on and infuse for two hours for seeds um, berries hips or haws you put them in a pint jar, one ounce, and fill to the top with boiling water. Screw on a lid and infuse for about thirty minutes. For combination infusions, you wanna probably prepare them separately if they're different types because they have different infusion times, and then you can always combine the the liquid at the end. Um, so yeah, my little manifesto that's been adapted from other people's influence. Um, about herbal medicine that I think is important is that herbal medicine is people's medicine, so it's a medicine of women and children, it's medicine of the earth and it is free you can be your own herbalist build a relationship with the plants start with nourishing infusions every day and see how much it does for you really notice, pay attention this is something where meditation can be good so you can meditate on these things and really understand what's going on in your body Expand from that there are so many magical plants with even more affinities. The next four that I'm going to talk about are ones I think we should all be drinking every day to support a really excellent baseline of health um, as a person with with internal reproductive organs. If you start with the basics and create a solid herbal foundation, you can explore all the other plants that could help you, see what works for you, be gentle, be patient, stay curious, Plant medicine is people's medicine. It is for us. This is how we can empower ourselves and take charge of our health. We can shift the power dynamic of Western medicine that does not truly serve us. Plant medicine is here for you. Um, So getting into these herbs. The first one, uh, which is really for everybody, and I think everybody should be drinking it, are nettles. Um, Sometimes people i work with at flower power will say if you don't know what's wrong drink nettles it's can do you no wrong and there's just so many benefits nettles are an all-purpose ultra nourishing herb Um, they're chock full of vitamins and minerals as well as the most chlorophyll of any other plant everyone could benefit from a daily dose of this powerhouse there's vitamins a c d and k calcium potassium phosphorus iron and sulfur Um, nettles rebuild and strengthen the kidneys it's a gentle and effective cleanser of the kidneys and blood nettles increase fertility in everyone and can help nourish a mother and baby in pregnancy the high calcium content in nettles can help prevent and ease muscle pain and cramps nettles support a healthy digestive and hormonal system and can strengthen adrenal health nettles are a cure-all and the basis of a healthy body and home plant medicine practice It's great in soup, broths, infusions, and sautes. Red clover is the next one. Red clover is a nourishing and mineral rich herb that can help restore hormonal balance. She can provide relief from unpleasant symptoms of PMS and menopause. Red clover is rich in vitamin B complex, thiamine, vitamin C, calcium, magnesium, and protein. Red clover is the most useful herb for establishing fertility. According to Susan Weed, its high vitamin content is especially useful for the uterus. Its high protein content aids the entire body. Its profuse and exceedingly absorbable calcium and magnesium relax the nervous system and promote fertility. Its high mineral content, including virtually every trace mineral needed by the glands, helps restore and balance hormonal functions. In addition, red clover alkalinizes the body and may balance the acid alkaline level of the vagina and uterus in favor of conception. Um, So red clover is an overall support of health, nourishing the body, as well as a huge aid in eliminating toxins and waste. So it's great for like detoxification, but also super nourishing. So it's kind of perfect if you're going to detox because you're not just leeching minerals and nourishing things out of your body, you're able to restore at the same time. Red clover is really special. Um, Next is red raspberry leaf. Red raspberry leaf is a powerful yet gentle uterine tonic. It's super nourishing and rich in minerals. It's high in vitamin C, E, A, and B complex as well as iron and calcium. Red raspberry leaf acts as a uterine tonic because it contains fragrine, which is an alkaloid that gives tone to pelvic muscles. It's an excellent fertility promoter, especially when combined with red clover. Drink red raspberry leaf tea daily to help ease symptoms of PMS, particularly painful cramps. It also helps decrease painful bleeding and can even help regulate the menstrual cycle. Drink this in pregnancy for a more timely start to labor, as well as more efficient contractions. Red raspberry leaf is also a known galactagogue, so you can drink it throughout postpartum for a consistent milk supply. It'll also help the uterus contract back to normal after birth. It's truly useful at every stage of fertility and reproduction. It's totally safe to drink all the time. Um, if you're only starting to drink it in pregnancy I would just start with a cup of di- a cup a day and you can work up to three eventually but don't overload um, but it's it's really generally super gentle and, and yummy it's great hot in the summer it's really yummy cold I love red raspberry leaf what an ally um, <clears throat> the next is skull cap so th- Skullcap isn't necessarily something everybody needs every day, but I think why not? I take it as a tincture and tea every day, and it really helps with my anxiety and sleep. Um, it's my favorite gentle and nourishing nervine. This plant nourishes and soothes the central nervous system and helps level out your baseline to keep anxiety and tension at bay. It can aid in fighting insomnia and panic, Drinking skullcap regularly will help prevent mood swings throughout the menstrual cycle and can help soothe heightened anxiety in pregnancy and postpartum. Um, according to Brittany Nickerson of Time Herbal, who's one of my favorite herbalists to follow in Western Massachusetts, um, skullcap is an excellent tonic for the nervous system. It provides relief for almost any physical or emotional symptom of nervousness, including irritability, fear, overstimulation, insomnia, and an overactive mind. Skullcap is an excellent herb for those times of the month during your cycle when emotions are heightened and there may be tension, anger, or frustration simmering under the surface. Um, Skullcap is always my go-to when people ask for herbs for anxiety. It's super gentle. It's not going to put you to sleep necessarily, but it will help if if you're struggling, but you can drink it throughout the day and it's not going to knock you out. Um, it's great for people who have a nervous stomach, people who hold tension in their body that cause physical symptoms of anxiety. It's just lovely. Again, I use it as a tincture and a tea, and I just guzzle the stuff, especially lately. And the last, um, so we're moving on to five now. This is a bonus herb, but it's really special and important to talk about. This is Chase Tree Berry, which is also known as Vitex. Um, It's a supreme hormonal tonic. Uh, This is one of the few plants that's actually supported and studied by clinical medicine, like Western clinical medicine. Um, It is proven to regulate hormones and is the only plant known to decrease the size of fibroids. Phytex, or Chase tree berry enhances progesterone and decreases estrogen levels. This plant nourishes and supports the endocrine system to find its own balance. It helps the body get back in touch and homeostatic and take care of its own self. Chase Tree can soothe all symptoms of the menstrual cycle, such as cramps, heavy bleeding, headaches, depression, bloating, constipation, hormonal acne, irritability, and breast tenderness. I feel like one of those commercials for, um, I don't know, various pharmaceuticals that list all the side effects, but in this case, it's a good thing because it eliminates all the side effects. Um, This plant is an excellent ally for all menstruators. It regulates the cycle and can be particularly helpful for those coming off of hormonal birth control. She's also a fertility promoter and galactagogue as it increases the production of prolactin, Chase tree berry is useful throughout reproduction, from puberty through menopause. It's really really a, an ally to us with these internal internal reproductive organs. Um, I like to take it primarily as tincture form. It works better in that way. It's also disgusting as an infusion, so the tincture is just a lot easier to stomach. And uh, that's all I have for today as the DIY, reproductive health basics. I hope this was helpful to people. Please get in touch if you have any questions. I obviously love to talk about this stuff and I'm happy to further explain anything. Um, If you feel I left information out or wasn't as inclusive as I could have been, please let me know and I will do my best to do better. Enjoy your herbs!